have a Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 13. A Sunday school teacher challenged her children to take some time on Sunday afternoon to write a letter to God. They were to bring back their letter the following Sunday. One little boy wrote, Dear God, we had a good time at church today. Wish you could have been there. Thank you, Ed. I mean, I think that's funny. I think that's funny. I don't know if they can handle the rest of these, Ed. <laughs> Sophia went to see a psychiatrist because her husband, he wouldn't go with her. Uh, doc, and she said, doctor, my husband has this problem. Almost every night now he dreams he's a refrigerator. My dear, replied the psychiatrist, that that is not really a problem. Many people dream that they are somebody or something unusual. Sophie leaned forward as she softly whispered, but you see, doctor, it is a problem for me. Jake sleeps with his mouth open and the light keeps me awake all night. <laughs> Do you think they can handle one more, Ed? Okay. Yeah. Last one. A man went over to his neighbor's house to let him know that a cat had just been hit and killed by a car driving by. The neighbor said, what does the cat look like? I have a cat. The man said to his neighbor, oh, are you sure you want to know? The neighbor said, yes, tell me. I need to know. What does the cat look like? So he said, like this. That's a painful joke to tell. I'm sorry. Second Corinthians chapter 13. We've been talking about the biblical admonition to stay hungry. And the power of walking in a healthy hunger for God. A hunger for the things of God. Now, I'm not departing from that topic, but, but I, I, do need, I do feel like I need to talk about the place of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we open this time together this morning. Now, I want to give a disclaimer. This verse that we're about to read is going to sound like the benediction but I'm not releasing you. It just, so here it goes. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 13, 14, and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Now, it's interesting, but the whole Trinity is present in this verse of Scripture. Paul ends his second letter, his second epistle to the church at Corinth by desiring each one of them to experience three things that involve the whole Godhead. The grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ, the love that comes from the Father, and the communion or fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now the word in this verse that is translated communion is the Greek word koinonia. And usually in your New Testament Bible, that word will either be translated communion or fellowship. But it actually means more than that. That, that particular Greek, 
word also means a partnership, a, a participation with, like, like forming a, a business partnership where the Holy Spirit is the senior partner and, and we are partnering together in the Father's business and the Father's business is the kingdom. Now see, if you've embraced Jesus as your Savior, if you've embraced his lordship over your life, the Holy Spirit has come and he lives inside of you. You have access to fellowship with and to commune with him. He wants to actually transform us from the inside out. He wants to release what is inside of you outside of you. He, or let, let me say it this way. He's in you and he wants out. <laughs> he wants to work through your life and, and release the kingdom of God. Now, in your notes, to the degree that you engage the person of the Holy Spirit, to that degree, his life and ministry will begin to operate, to break forth from your interior to your exterior life. We are talking about fellowship with, partnering with the Holy Spirit. And I really believe we're in a season where I feel like the Lord is just wanting us to take this to another level, our partnership with Holy Spirit. And I want to give you something this morning that I think can be helpful to begin to cultivate or develop this fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Now, what I want to share over the next couple of minutes is it's just like a starting place. It's an initial place that if you will do this three or four times a day for just three to five minutes each time, you will begin to cultivate this fellowship that we have been invited into. Now, this is not meant to be a formula. I'm not a, really a formula guy. This is really just a starting place. Walking in the Holy Spirit begins by talking to the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that, that, that relationships begin with a conversation? And, and the more you talk with somebody, oftentimes the deeper that conversation will go. And, and, and it's the same with the Holy Spirit. As we begin to acknowledge him in our lives, he lives inside of us. As we begin to acknowledge him and, and, and invite him into our life, and, and, and just open our hearts to him, that, that fellowship begins to go deeper and deeper. So, so let's just do this together this morning. This is workshop time, okay? Could you just close your eyes for a moment and with me recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of you? The Bible describes the Holy Spirit in many different ways as rain, as fire, as wind, as water, as oil, as glory. But let's just take the biblical image of fire and just picture him inside of you. On the day of Pentecost, cloven tongues of fire appeared over the 120 that were gathered in the upper room and it settled on them. John the Baptist said that Jesus would baptize us in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Now, just rest in that. For a moment. Now you're not trying to conjure up something. You are simply acknowledging the biblical reality that he lives inside of you. And you are beginning to cultivate 
just that awareness of his presence in your life. Now, I want to give you an acronym that, uh, and it's the word trust. T-R-U-S-T. After you just spend a moment just acknowledging the Holy Spirit in your life, then take this acronym, and the T stands for thankfulness. And see, this all becomes a prayer. This is all about conversing with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live inside of me. You know, I was alienated from God, but now I'm not. Thank you for, for making me your temple. Now, at this point, it's not about feeling him or not. If you've embraced Jesus, beloved, he is there. He is living inside of you. That's a Bible fact. The Holy Spirit has come to live inside of you. You are just acknowledging the reality of that. You are letting your sanctified imagination go there. You know, as Christians, we might as well cultivate a God consciousness. A God inside mindedness. The reality of his presence because greater is he who lives in us than he who is in the world. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life, quicken my mortal body by his spirit who dwells in me. And as we begin to just be thankful, thank you, Holy Spirit, for living inside of me. I acknowledge your presence. The R stands for rain. Not R-A-I-N, but R-E-I-G-N. Rain in me, Holy Spirit. Rain over my thoughts today. Rain over my body, my, my emotions, and, and my desires. Reign over my hopes and dreams. Holy Spirit, I submit my thoughts to your leadership. I submit my emotions. Let, let me feel your emotions. Let me feel your compassion for people. I submit everything I am to you, Holy Spirit. The U stands for use. Use me, Holy Spirit. I, just, I make myself available to you today. Use my eyes, my, my ears, my, my mouth, my hands, my feet. Take me where you want me to go, to do what you want me to do, to say what you want me to say. Stir up your gifts in me. Give me divine appointments today. Use me, Holy Spirit, for your glory. Usame para tu gloria, Señor. The S stands for strengthen me, Holy Spirit. Be my strength today. I often find myself praying a couple of Paul's apostolic prayers. I'm praying, strengthen me, Holy Spirit. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, I pray that you would grant me, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might through your Holy Spirit in my inner man, that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Colossians 1, 9 through 11. Holy Spirit, 
I ask that I may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that I may walk worthy of you, Lord, fully pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to your glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Holy Spirit, be my strength today. Let me be so full of you, I can't contain it. I can't contain you. Release divine power, divine might, divine glory. Strengthen me to do what you've called me to do. And the T stands for teach. Teach me, Holy Spirit. I incline my ear to hear. I desire to understand. Teach me your ways so that I can walk in your paths. Ephesians 1, 17 through 19. I pray that the God of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. Holy Spirit, I know the spirit of wisdom and revelation is you. Let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened, that I may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of your inheritance in the saints? And what is the exceeding greatness of your power toward us who believe? Teach me, Holy Spirit. I'm all ears today. Help me to hear clearly everything that you want to teach me today. And see, if you do that several times, throughout the day, you're actually inviting the Holy Spirit to invade your life, to actually bust out through you into your exterior life. You are engaging him in conversation through prayer. And you will begin to have this deeper fellowship, this, this deeper koinonia with, with Holy Spirit. And again, I don't share this as a formula, but rather as a, as a beginning point, just to begin fellowshipping with Holy Spirit. Now, that was all kind of an intro to what I'm really talking about today, and that is hunger. But we need the Holy Spirit to walk in the hunger that God desires us to have. Holy Spirit, help me to be hungry today. Help me to not be satisfied with worldly stuff and worldly things. Help me to not fill up my time and my schedule with worldly stuff. Lord, I, I want to be so hungry that I press into you. When I read my Bible, when I pray. The key verse that we've been looking at is Luke chapter 1, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, I want, I want you to examine this verse with me. I know we've been talking about it. But good things, God has, has good things in store. He has stored up good things for those who are hungry. God fills hungry people with good things. There are certain things that he has reserved only for the hungry. Only the hungry have access to it. The, the Passion Translation of this verse reads like this. Those who hunger for him will always be filled. But the smug and self-satisfied he will send away empty. He fills the hungry 
with good things. They are always filled. But if we're self-satisfied, if we have all that we need, if we're content, then that's all we get. The rich he sends away empty, but he fills the hungry with good things. Now, I, I believe that what that verse is saying is this. If you're not hungry, then you, you have no room to contain the more that God wants to give you. It's hunger that increases your spiritual capacity. It's hunger that makes room for more of him in your life. But if you're content where you are and with what you have, then that's all you get. That's all you actually have room for in your life. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, notice there's no question about this. They shall be filled. If someone is hungry and thirsty, they shall be filled. When someone becomes hungry and thirsty, something has been set in motion that cannot be stopped. There is a spiritual law that has been set into motion. Now, the prerequisite of being filled is hunger and thirst. The only qualification of filling is hunger and thirst. Now, I want to show that to you in a couple other places in Scripture that we haven't looked at yet. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. The first one is Isaiah 55, verse 1. You doing okay? I was hoping. Ho, everyone who thirsts. I actually shared this verse as my soap several weeks ago. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So the invitation is to those who thirst. It's to everyone who thirsts to come and receive what he has. What, what, what he has stored up for you. Everyone who is thirsty, that is who he is inviting to the waters. You don't need money, but there is a cost. The cost is to be thirsty. Now, let me show this to you in another place. This is in the New Testament. John chapter 7. I'm reading verse 37 and 38. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the invitation is to come and drink. That invitation is to anyone who thirsts. If you are thirsty, come and drink, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You know, all of the spiritual laws that God has set in motion, they, they are cause and effect. It's like physics, cause and effect. Cause, whatever you sow, effect, you will reap. Cause, exalt yourself, Effect, you will be humbled. Cause, humble yourself. Effect, you will be exalted. Cause, judge not. Effect, you won't be judged. Cause, forgive. Effect, and you will be forgiven. Cause, hunger and thirst. Effect, 
you will be filled. Not maybe. Hunger sets things in motion. Now, we know there are both natural laws and spiritual laws. God created both of them. He created them for our benefit. Once we understand how they operate and how to use them, they are very real. They work every time. They're not hit and miss. They are as sure as the God who set them in motion. As surely as you can count on gravity to work tomorrow and the next day, so you can count on the law of hunger to work. You know, our own observations and true science has helped us to understand natural laws. But the God who created all things also wants us to understand spiritual laws. That's why he's given us the Bible. You know, the Bible is the most amazing book in the world. There is no other book like it. Why do people risk their lives to take this book into places where it's illegal? Why do they do that? Because there's no other book like this. There's no other revelation. This, this is a revelation from the spirit realm. It reveals to us the, the God who is spirit, and it gives us revelation of the spirit realm. It reveals truth. It reveals the God of truth. It reveals how the kingdom of God works, the principles by which it operates. When you got saved, you were transferred into the kingdom of God's dear son. You are part of a kingdom that can't be shaken. And it's important for us to begin to understand how the kingdom works, the laws that govern the kingdom. There are principles of operation in the kingdom. We're talking about one of those principles today. The principle or law of hunger and filling. Now see, the Bible reveals to us the spiritual laws that exist so that we can understand how they work, how the kingdom operates, so that we can come into alignment with heaven in releasing God's purposes and plans in the earth. Now, two things about spiritual laws. Number one, they are no respecter of persons. What does that mean? They, they don't show partiality of any kind. There is no favoritism. They, they don't care who you are, just like the natural law of gravity doesn't care who you are. It just works. And that's the same with spiritual laws also. Number two, they are immutable. What does that mean? It means abiding, it means unchanging or changeless, abiding, constant, enduring, fixed, immovable, inflexible, invariable, permanent. It means perpetual, stable, steadfast, unalterable. Longest list of synonyms I've ever said. But that's what the kingdom, that's what the laws of the kingdom they're, they're eternal laws. The kingdom is eternal. We live in a temporal realm. The earth is temporary. This realm that we live in is temporary. But the, the eternal realm, the, the spiritual realm, is eternal. Now, God has set certain laws in motion. We talked about one last week that is both a natural law and a spiritual law. That is the law of sowing and reaping. It's a natural law that farmers live by. 
I mean, it's, it's a principle that, that governs their life. That's what they live by. But it is also a spiritual principle. And, and it, it, so much so, I, I love the way Paul says it in Galatians 6, 7. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. That is a reality. You know, whether you believe that or not, your belief or unbelief has no effect on it. Paul is saying, don't be deceived. Don't be fooled about this. This is a reality. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain what? Do you know if you sow mercy, you reap mercy? There, there are so many of the principles of God that, that um, some of them can be seen reflected in the natural realm and some of them aren't. They're just unique to the spiritual realm. The law of hunger and filling is a spiritual law. And hunger sets certain things in motion. Cause and effect. Cause. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Effect. For they shall be filled. Matthew 5, 6. Hunger releases things into your life. Hunger pulls on heaven to release them into the earth. If you're not hungry, you won't get it. If you are hungry, it's coming. It has to come. It's a spiritual law. When you begin to get hungry for more of God, there is something in God to answer that cry. Because deep calls unto deep. There's a deep inside of God to answer that call in your heart. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, Psalm 42. I'm reading verses 1 and 2, but also verse 7. And I'm reading this. I know we read it last week, but I'm reading it out of the Passion Translation today. Verse 1. I long to drink of you, O God, drinking deeply, from the streams of pleasure flowing from your presence. My longings overwhelm me for more of you. My soul thirsts, pants, and longs for the living God. I want to come and see the face of God. My soul thirsts, pants, and longs for the living God. This psalm it's about the passionate pursuit of God, and it reflects a, a deep longing for God, a deep heart cry. Verse 7 says, My deep need calls out to the deep kindness of your love. Deep calls unto deep. When something deep inside of you begins to call out for something deep inside of God, something has been set in motion. That cry, that hunger, that thirst must be filled. If there's a deep inside of you calling, there is a deep inside of the God who made you to answer that call. Amen. You know, it's interesting when you study revivals that have taken place through the years you will always find that there was a group of people, and sometimes it's not a large group of people at all, it's like a small band of people, that come together and begin to cry out to God for more. 
Maybe they're crying out to God for their nation. They, they, they see what, what's happening around them. They see sin. They see drunkenness. They see all kinds of different things. And they're crying out to God to move, to release something from heaven that, that will actually impact the moral fabric of the environment that they live in. You know, that's a good thing. I, I talked with you a couple of weeks ago about the Welsh Revival. I've always been fascinated by it because there was this young man, Evan Roberts. He got saved. But, but the, the nation he was living in, there, there were pubs on every corner and there was incest. There was all kinds of terrible things happening. And he just began to cry out to God to save his nation. Imagine, to save his nation. And, you know, he cried out for years. And a lot of people thought he was crazy because he'd be walking down the street and you'd see his mouth moving, but there's no sound being made. He's just, he's just calling out to God. Oh, God, won't you save my nation? Oh, God. Well, when revival broke out, it changed everything about that nation. Even ships that would get close to port, the sailors found themselves getting on their knees and crying out to God to get right with God. And there was a band of people in, in Los Angeles that heard about the Welsh Revival. Now, they didn't hear about things quite as fast as we hear about things now. They didn't have social media or anything like that. You know, and, and so they heard about this revival that was breaking out. And so they just got together and began to, began to pray, began to cry out to God for, for revival, cry out to God to touch their nation. And, and the, the Azusa Street revival was birthed out of that. And that revival actually has caused the gospel to go all over the world. But it's interesting that, that it began with a hunger. It began with a desire to see God do something. You know, the, the deep cry in our heart for God was never meant to be placated with other things. It was never meant to be numbed with, with worldly things or worldly desires. That that deep cry in our heart is designed to make a demand on the deep things of God so that they will be released into the earth. I don't know if this makes sense yet. Does what I'm saying make any sense? Um, let me say it this way. God is not attracted to your strength. He is attracted to your weakness. God is not attracted to my ability. He's attracted to my inability. He's not attracted to my sufficiency, but to my poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. The poor in spirit have access to the whole kingdom. If I'm trying to get God's attention, trying to display my strengths to him, that won't do it. Oh God, look at me, how faithful I'm serving you. Trying to display my strength won't do it. But displaying my weakness will get his attention every time. 
How many here have had kids? How many here have grandkids? I'm not going to go any farther. How many here have great-grandchildren? Yeah. Isn't that cool? But here's the thing. When your child was little, sometimes they, they, they would want to impress you with what they do. Maybe they're taking a tumbling class or, or something, and they, they just want you to see how good they are, what they can do. And, you know, you might be sitting there reading your paper, and, and they're, they're saying, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, Mommy, watch, watch. You know, and, and, and you're, you know, put your paper down, and you're watching them, and, and it's not like... You're not giving them any attention. You are, but, but you're also reading a paper. And, and you, you, know, you say, well, that's great, kiddo. Wow, that's amazing. But in truth, they, they really don't have your full attention. So let's just imagine that they're, they're doing all those different moves. But all of a sudden, they land wrong. And they cry out to you in pain. Man, you are out of that chair in a second. That paper is flying all over the place. They have your total attention. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, sometimes we're, we're always trying to put our strength to God, and, and sometimes we just need to say, God, I need more of you. Necesito más de ti, Señor. I need more of you in mi vida, in my life. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge that, God, I, I feel inadequate. I, I don't feel like I have enough Holy Spirit. I really need your help today. I'm just telling you how to get God's attention, his full attention. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God's reading the newspaper when you're trying to talk to him. Or that maybe God's running the world and everything else. But, but I'm, I'm saying that there's something in Scripture about acknowledging these things in our life. Sometimes we're just trying to say, look at me, look, look what I can do. That if you stop putting your strengths on display and begin to display your weakness, you'll have his attention. Psalm 34, verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. Now, I just grabbed this one scripture, but how many of you know there's about 25 others almost exactly like it that talk about weakness, that talk about brokenness, that talk about how God focuses in? That person always has God's attention. That person God's right with them. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. If you've ever experienced brokenness, brokenness you, you may not have realized just how near he was to you. God is attracted to weakness, to hunger, to emptiness. The earth values strength. Heaven values weakness. The earth values abundance. Heaven values poverty. The earth values fullness. Heaven values emptiness. I want to read a story to us that's found in 2 Kings 
chapter 4. When I start reading it, it's probably a, a story, if you're a Bible person at all, that you might be familiar with. I just find it fascinating. Verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. My son who served you is dead. My, my, I'm sorry, my, my husband who served you is dead, and you know he feared the Lord. The provider of my home is dead. The creditor that we owe money to is coming to take my two sons into servitude to cover the debt. This woman is in despair. So Elisha said to her, verse 2, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Did you know that sometimes the answer to our need, the answer to what we don't have is found in what we do have? My wife and I have always been tithers. And beyond that, we love to give to missions, to missionaries. Missionaries would come and visit the church and we would, we love to. And there was a season where Mickey and I are building our house. My, my dad, myself, and my wife built the house that we live in. And it was an interesting season because t- finances got tight. It got tight. And I remember I was at a Wednesday night service at the church, and there was a, one of my favorite missionaries was there speaking. And, and I remember just thinking, man, I would love to write a check. I would love to give into this, into this mission, and, and I can't do it. I can't do it. And do you, ever, do you ever see God almost like, this is what I felt like God showed me. I, I was saying, well, I can't do it, have the money. I felt like God did this. And, and I, I just thought, Lord, what does that mean? What does that mean? And uh, I talked to my wife about it that night on the, on the way home as we were driving home from church, you know. And, 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 and I, she said, well, maybe what we need to do is sow our way out of this. Maybe God is saying, take what you have, even though it's not enough, and sow it. And so shortly after that, there was, there was another missionary that he and his wife were, were going, they were actually not, they were going on the mission field to be school teachers for missionaries' kids. Todd and Kathy. And uh, we're, we're at this uh, luncheon thing, and, and you know, I, 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 I said, honey, how much do you feel like we're supposed to give? And she told me, and I said, that's what I feel like we're supposed to give. And she wrote out the check, I remember, and she signed it, she tore it, she said, in your face, devil. Now, my wife doesn't really talk like that, if you know her. But, and I can't explain it. But all I know is, all of a sudden, the tightness that we had began to leave. And all of a sudden, we had the money we needed to finish our house, you know, and to do the other things we needed to do. And I just thought, this is amazing. I, I couldn't even explain what happened here, but, but 
Anyway, so the, the, he says, well, what do you have? What do you have? Tell me what you have in your house. And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Verse 3. Then he said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into the, those vessels and set aside the full ones. So when, when she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her, she poured it out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, this is not a, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Do you see that? So the oil ceased. So the supernatural oil from heaven ceased. My question is this. Did heaven run out of oil or did earth run out of emptiness? Now, we all know the answer. To that question, don't we? I mean, it's obvious. Heaven couldn't run out of oil. The, the supply is unlimited. But earth ran out of emptiness, so heaven's oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. God took care of everything. Got her out of debt. Worship team, can, can you come? I, I want my value system to come from heaven. Earth values fullness, but heaven values emptiness. Earth values contentment, but heaven values hunger. Sometimes, I think we as God's people, we come to church and, and we it's like, even if we are hungry, we kind of hide our hunger. We, we hide any emptiness we might have. We, we hide any desperation. We act like we're full, content, and satisfied. And I just want to say, stop it. Did, did I just do that? Sorry. Hunger, desperation, emptiness, those are good things. Those, those are things that actually pull on heaven and release things into the earth that are not available to those who are not in that place. Let's stand. Let's pray. Then we're going to worship together. Would you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Father, I need you. I desperately need you. Fill my life. I want more of you. Holy Spirit, increase my spiritual hunger. Give me a holy hunger, a holy desperation for the things of God. I'm willing to become desperate. I'm willing to humble myself before you. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the cross. Lord, fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship for a moment.
invite prayer teams to come up and just be available to pray with people this morning. The benediction is out of Jude, chapter 1. I guess there's only one chapter, 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, Savior who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, saints. Have a great week.